Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And just a warning that today's podcast has content some listeners may find distressing. Today on the Indo Daily, the dark double life of Or Kelly. I don't know what else to say except that I'm grateful. I'm grateful for today. And I'm grateful that Robert Sylvester Kelly is away and will stay away and will not be able to harm anyone else. I started this journey 30 years ago. I was 14 years old when I encountered Robert Sylvester Kelly. There wasn't a day in my life up until this moment that I actually believed that the judicial system would come through for black and brown girls. I stand here very proud of my judicial system, very proud of my fellow survivors, and very pleased with the outcome. 30 years did he do this, and 30 years is what he got. It's been a long time coming for the victims of Or Kelly, the disgrace singer who last week was sentenced by a New York court to 30 years in prison for using his fame to sexually abuse young fans. He faces a second federal trial in Illinois later this summer. So how did the once celebrated Chicago singer fall into such disgrace? Why has it taken so many decades to prove an unshakable rumour mill right? And what now for those who have survived abuse at the hands of Or Kelly? I'm Siobhan McGuire and joining me today is Irish independent feature writer John Marr. Moments ago, R. Kelly was sentenced to 30 years in prison. This is a significant outcome for all victims of R. Kelly, and especially for the survivors who so bravely testified about the horrific and sadistic abuse they endured. R. Kelly is a predator, and as a result of our prosecution, he'll serve a long jail sentence for his crimes. John, we can talk about the events of last week in a little while, but can you tell us a little bit more about R. Kelly? Who is he? He, he's a, a man of many parts. On the one hand, in music, he is something of a superstar. Oh, wow. You know, when you pray for something, you know, you, you, you get it better than what you pray for. I just like to thank God, who's the head of my life, for receiving this award. He's because he's the reason I'm here. I'd like to thank Gary LaMail, Ken Ross, Warner Brothers Records, Buzz Bunny, uh, Michael Jordan... He is a sales sensation, uh, a huge player in uh, soul and R&B and has been since the late 80s, early 90s. On the other hand, he is a monster. He is a criminal. He has abused countless women, many of them underage. 
He has been accused of trafficking, of imprisonment, of effectively creating a sex cult. And for a very long time, he got away with the second part of that aspect of who he is. But the first part, even when the allegations were out there and the first allegation was made 25 years ago, even in that context, his albums were going to number one in the US chart. He was a huge seller. You had people like Lady Gaga who were uh, playing alongside him. You had Usher. You had a great number of young artists wanting to be within his light because he was an uber producer as well as a significant artist. Yeah, I, I mean, he had something like, was it 75 million records sold worldwide, oh, absolutely. John? Yeah. E- easily. I mean, there were just, there were massive figures and, you know, uh, and it, it, it's a brand of R&B that I've never, as a, as a music critic, never warmed to. It's very sexually explicit and quite cheesy at the same time. Yeah. Bump and Grind is a really interesting song. It's one of the first huge hits and I think it was uh, it was on top of the R&B charts for something like 30 weeks. I mean, it was just it was just a sensation. But what's really sinister about that song now in terms of what we know is the opening lyric, which is my mind's telling me no, my body's telling me yes. So you, you kind of wonder, almost like Jimmy Savile, was this a guy who was perfectly aware of all the wrongdoing that he did over decades and was taunting not just his victims, but the people who were buying his music as well? Let's go back to the start, uh, John, if we may. Um, or Kelly was born in Chicago. He was. Robert Sylvester Kelly, born in 1967. Um, he, his mother, Joan, was uh, like uh, a lot of uh, mothers who have to bring up uh, their kids alone, very heavily invested in his development and could see from an early age that he was a fantastic singer. And leaving aside what I said about not particularly liking his music, it's hard to fault the fact that he was really gifted as a soul singer. He had a great range, fantastic voice. And from the age of eight, that was very apparent because he was singing in the church choir. And, you know, Stevie Wonder was in constant rotation in their home. And what better sort of teacher to have in a way than Stevie Wonder. So he, uh, he, 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 he achieved a lot early on. I mean, he, he got into this incredible kind of music faculty called the Kenwood Academy in Chicago when he was just 16. So there was an aspect of a project, prodigy there as well. He grew up in one of the projects there, a very tough part of town. I mean, Chicago, as Frank Sinatra famously sung about the south side of Chicago, it's a tough place. Um, but he was a grafter and his mother was a grafter. And I suppose, you know, with, with, a, with, a, with a huge number of R&B and rap artists, they come from a similar background, but they have immense drive. And something else that's apparent for a lot of these people is that they've great entrepreneurial zeal as well. They're aware of their talent and they know how to monetize it. And from, from an early age, we see that, you know, money comes into his life. I mean, you know, he, he was barely in his 20s when he wins $100,000 in a, in a prize for, you know, a, a vocal group that he was in. Robert Kelly and MDM, $100,000! Hello! 
And you can see that, you know, even though they kind of effectively called it a day because of internal differences, he was pushing hard for a record deal. And Jive Records, which of course was quite famous later with Britney Spears, they recognized his talent and signed him. And I suppose from, from about 1992 on, this guy is becoming a very, very big deal. Um, in the US specifically, like I don't think it crossed the, he, he crossed the Atlantic, so to speak. I don't think the music had a huge impact here uh, until I believe I can fly a few years after that, which was uh, a massive hit, one of the biggest selling singles of the 1990s, although it's not particularly representative of, of his music. But that's the point in the mid-90s where certainly here in Ireland, we're becoming very aware of R. Kelly. Absolutely, John. I mean, I don't think you could turn on the radio without hearing an R. Kelly song for such a huge chunk of the 1990s. We all knew his name. Um, You know, in terms of how he looks, he's, you know, he's a a very uh, tall, um, broad, yeah, Yeah. good looking guy. Good looking guy, yeah. Yeah, quite striking. And, and, you know, for a lot of people, particularly if if they come to his music via radio, there's this impression that he's quite wholesome. The songs are you know, they're, they're family songs almost. But I, I suppose Irish radio, typically or daytime radio, wouldn't have been playing the very sexually explicit stuff that was making him a superstar in America. Yeah. You know, but uh, he, he certainly had that impression of somebody who was, you know, it, it, a, a really big deal in American music in the 90s. And as a singer-songwriter, John, I mean, he wasn't just writing for himself, but I mean, he had this incredible back catalogue of songs yeah. written for for huge artists like um, Michael like Jackson. Michael Jackson, yeah, he did. And, and, and not just that, but he was a really good producer as well. Uh, he, he understood, and I use the word in the past tense there because he's going to serve 30 years in jail in the US. And in the US, that really means 30 years. So unless a studio was brought in there, he won't be in there again. But so past tense, he was, he understood the power of the recording studio and the songs were always lavishly produced, whether they were his own or if he was working with other people as well. Um, You know, the Michael Jackson connection is intriguing and sinister based on what we now know about Michael Jackson and all the allegations that have been made and were made in his lifetime, but have certainly come to light since his death. John, can you talk to me about the Grammys he won? Yeah, he's won an enormous number of Grammys. I mean, I believe I can fly itself. Um, Won Best R&B Song, Best Male R&B Performance. And several of his albums were nominated and won over the years. And I suppose one that would have mean, meant a, a lot to him was in 2016 when he won the Stevie Wonder Songwriter Award. And Stevie himself, himself presents the award to R. Kelly. Because as I said earlier, you know, he grew up listening to Stevie Wonder's music. So this must have felt to him like a bit of the, the changing of the guard almost. He is an incredibly talented man as a songwriter. So I'd like you to know that this year's recipient of the 2006 Stevie Wonder Songwriters Award is R. Kelly. All that fame and fortune, John, could do so much good, except it doesn't. Absolutely right. I mean, he uses that fame and fortune to utterly abuse his power and he does it consistently time and time again. And there are so many red flags 
in in this man's story. Not least when he marries the R&B newcomer Aaliyah. She is just 15 at the time. They marry in secret. Her parents discover this and get the marriage annulled because she is underage. That story comes out and still R. Kelly has this glittering career. In 1997, um, Tiffany Hawkins, this young woman, files a complaint against Kelly. This is 25 years ago. This is the first time that we're hearing somebody come forward to say, I was sexually abused by this man. There's a seven-hour deposition. The problem goes away. He apparently pays her a quarter of a million dollars. But that's just the beginning of a tidal wave of allegations of abuse that come forward over the next quarter century. Because in 2002, John, there was an alleged sex tape of Or Kelly with a minor um, and the singer is indicted on charges of possession of child pornography. So what were those allegations? That's especially sinister. The Chicago Sun-Times newspaper received a videotape, basically of half an hour a sex tape, apparently showing R. Kelly having sex with this underage person. At the, on the day that story breaks, he is performing at the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. So he's still got this enormous profile. And remember, this is happening five years after the first allegation. And there have been several allegations in that time. So already the story is out. This guy is really bad news. This guy has, has alleged to have done terrible things. Um, you know, that's February of 2002. In June, he is indicted in Chicago on 21 counts of child pornography. He pleads not guilty. He's released on bail, a bail of three quarters of a million dollars. So he has the money to be able to extricate himself from very difficult situations. But then the following year, there's more child pornography um, uh, charges leveled at him. This time he's arrested at a, a hotel in Florida. Um, and, you know, a few weeks after that, he releases an album called Chocolate Factory. And that goes on to sell huge amounts of units. So you've got this really horrible um, juxtaposition. On the one hand, you've got somebody who is constantly, constantly being accused of crimes of the most horrific nature. And at the same time, aided by the record industry, he is releasing all this music and it is selling like hotcakes. Now, 2017 was a very big year with the release of the BuzzFeed article claiming that Or Kelly was holding adult women against their will. What were these allegations about, John? Yeah, there's there's this notion of a cult, a sex cult, effectively, that he was, he had brainwashed his victims, that he had groomed them to believe that, you know, he was effectively some sort of Superman and they were going to be elevated by being in his orbit. Of course, being in his orbit means having sex with this guy. And again, many of them are alleged to be underage. And this is around the time, of course, that we've, we, Me Too is beginning. So there's this social media sort of groundswell that builds and builds and its aim is to out predators and most famously Harvey Weinstein is 
effectively destroyed because it comes to light what he has done over decades as well. R. Kelly is very much hoovered up into this too. And, you know, there's a real, certainly I remember in around 2017, a sense that these allegations about R. Kelly are just coming so thick and fast that his career really feels like it should be in free fall. And, and, and yet it isn't. He's still releasing music. He, he is still performing these major tours, playing huge arenas. Interestingly, you have people like Lady Gaga saying in 2017, 2018, I apologize for duetting with him on a very provocative Saturday Night Live performance from 2013. I mean, it's there on YouTube. It's it's considering what we knew about this man yeah, then. Yeah, exactly. It was really poor judgment from her. And But there is that regret. And she's not the only big name musician who's saying, I regret working with this man. So that everything is changing as that decade is nearing its end. And then we had um, Surviving or Kelly that documentary on Netflix. And that really was explosive, wasn't it? What were you wearing that R. Kelly was attracted to? Why did you present yourself as older than you were? People look at some of these allegations and they blame the parents or they blame girls. Where they should be blaming people is where the blame belongs. And that's on R. Kelly and his enablers, period. It, it really was. And it, it comes hot in the heels of a BBC documentary called R. Kelly, Sex, Girls and Videotapes. So it's almost a double whammy of really powerful allegations against this man. And even as a print journalist, I would say that TV has a power that no other medium does in terms of just grasping the public imagination, because it really gives a sense of what this guy um, had done over a very sustained period of time. It's to little, so many young girls. To so many. And it's very similar to the Jimmy Savile stuff, stuff. Again, it's around that time that we've got very provocative documentaries about him. And it's a sense, it's, it, you know, there, there are so many similarities. The notion of hiding in plain sight, the notion of actively going after young, vulnerable people of using his power and money to make problems going away, to paying off people, um, and, you know, to, 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 to create legitimacy for himself as this superstar in music, to continue to make music and to, to, to be feted by so many of his peers while behaving monstrously. Uh, and, and, and also, you know, not just... The, the, the awful crimes of sexual abuse and coercion and, 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 you know, brainwashing. But also, like, his wife of many years came forward and spoke about the, the violence that she was subjected to at this man's hand, hands, the threats that he gave, and to other victims as well. What I would like to say to Robert is, I'm not afraid of you anymore. I'm not afraid of your lawyers. I'm not afraid of your goons. I'm not afraid of your team that you have help you. I would give my life for my justice and any other woman you validated. I will not go away. 
I will not be quiet. I will not hide. You know what you did. You know the turmoil you brought into my kid's life. And not just my kids, my family. Because what affected me affected my children. What affected my children affected their grandparents and their aunts and their uncles and their cousins. You destroyed Christmases, birthdays, graduations, and my kids' ability to just go to lunch and sit with their friends and laugh and play. And for that, I will never forgive you. For that, you can deny all you want to. For that, you can deflect all you want to. And for that, you can go to hell. You know, the, just a litany of abuse from all, all manner of abuse, sexual, physical, emotional, verbal, consistently. And, 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 and behind all this, he presents himself as this kind of, this glowing figure. It's, it's, it's revolting. So, John, tell me about last week's court case then in New York. So last Wednesday, there was finally justice. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison for abusing women, girls and boys uh, more than 25 years after the first allegation comes to light. And that sentencing comes on the heels of uh, a jury decision last September in New York that found him guilty of sex trafficking and racketeering uh, on all nine counts against, against him. There's a second case later this year as well in, in Chicago. You know, he's 55 years of age, so he, he is serving out the rest of his life in prison, correct? Yeah, he is. And, and it really does mean uh, what it means in the US. I mean, I, you know, I don't think there'll be parole. And again, this is one batch of sentencing. You talked about, you know, more cases coming against him. As is often the case in the US, they add you know, decades onto existing sentences. Um, you know, Larry Nasser, who was the abuser in the US gymnastics team, has multiple decades of time to serve in prison. He will die in prison. What I find fascinating, though, is that, you know, I went onto Apple Music this morning to just listen to some of his music again. The songs are all there. They're still up there. So there's question marks to be asked about the R. Kelly estate. And I suppose question marks too about what do we do as listeners when it comes to people like him or Gary Glitter or any of other abusers that have, that have plied their odious trade in music. Can we separate the art from the man? That's the burning question. And my thanks there to John Marr, Irish independent feature writer. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode was presented and produced by myself, researched by Garrett Mulhall and Tabitha Monaghan, recording and sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from BBC News, CBS News, Netflix and independent.ie. 
You can find all helplines relating to any of today's content on independent.ie forward slash helplines. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave a review.